I would love the APG to still be around in 10 years' time. I would like it to be thriving, unquestionably thriving, and seen as central to raising the level of planning in the country, across the whole country. Hello and welcome to Grow Up, an APG Canada podcast, where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkers opportunities to grow. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, and today on the show, and after for the next 10 weeks, we will be celebrating 10 years of the APG. With APG Canada at 10, we will be releasing 10 new episodes to explore how strategy in Canada has changed over the last 10 years and what might be in store for the next. In this series, we will be talking to strategists, creatives, HR, and management to gather their diverse perspectives. So today we are chatting with Mark Tomlin, chair of the APG. Just before we dive in, we'd like to give a special shout out to the team at McCann for sponsoring today's episode. As one of Canada's leading strategy departments and supporters of strategic planning, They've shown a keen interest in continuing to help us foster and strengthen Canada's strategic talent. And for that, we thank you. Mark, welcome to the show. We're super excited to have you here. Terrific if you could please introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us a bit about your background. And since we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the APG in Canada, we'd love it if you could tell us where you were 10 years ago today. Sure. Okay. Um, Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Um, Yeah, it's a a great thing you're doing here. Um, And... Uh, yeah, my background. Well, as you can tell from my accent, I'm a, a British native. Um, I came to Canada. <clears throat> ironically, I came to Canada just over 10 years ago. So this is very timely for me personally. Uh, but before that, I'd spent all my career in London in the UK, um, primarily, uh, well, the vast majority of my time working in advertising agencies, um, and but also a little bit of time in management consultancy and market research. Um, and my last job there was actually as head of planning for Leo Burnett, the Leo Burnett Group in London, um, which I did for I think three years before, um, yeah, before I got the opportunity to come to Canada and uh, uh, work for Taxi. Fantastic. Um, and I know, I mean, you you had a, a a really strong hand in helping to kind of get the APG Canada going. I mean, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the inception of that. Um, 10 years ago. Oh, oh yeah, sure. No, absolutely. Um, no, it's interesting. It's quite, quite, a, quite an intriguing origin story as these things go, actually. Um, yeah, I arrived in January uh, 2013 on a, on a cold, dark January night. Um, well, obviously it was in January. It was a dark night at, at Pearson. Um, and uh, I think I had no idea really what I was stepping into, if I'm honest, looking back. It was all a big adventure. Um, but I think... One of the things that intrigued me was I quickly realized that there was no account planning group organization in Canada. Um, uh, And obviously, the APG started in London many, many years ago, uh, I think sometime in the 80s. And um, and that intrigued me. But I I was too busy trying to sort out, you know, moving to a new country, new agency, new people, new colleagues, creating a department almost from scratch, all that kind of stuff. so I didn't really give it a second thought. I just sort of noticed that there wasn't one and moved on with my life. Um, weirdly, at about the same time, entirely coincidentally, two Brazilians um, who had also emigrated to Canada, I think a little bit before me, um, and who had experience of Brazilian advertising, the Brazilian advertising community, um, also noticed the absence of uh, an APG, the, the, one of the more active APGs in the world. Although it, it, I won't even attempt the Portuguese name because it would just embarrass both of us. Um, uh, but he, <clears throat> there's quite a strong planning community in Brazil, uh, and they they felt the absence of it here. And so, anyway, they, they had the idea of starting the APG uh, Canada. Um, and um, and in fact, the first time I got it, I even saw them. They had a brilliant idea for a launch event, 
Um, they had the idea of uh, a they had it the pilot always famous always always a good venue um, and b they put it uh, they they created the event around um, South by Southwest that year they called it postcards from Austin. And they got, I think, two or three people who'd been to South by Southwest to talk about their experiences there and uh, have a few drinks. And, you know, an awful lot of people packed out one of the room, bigger rooms at the pilot. And um, it was a good evening. Lots of people there, lots of interest. And that's how the APG Canada started. Great. Wonderful. A terrific story. Um, and I mean, that is quite a feat, actually, I think, to have kept the APG going for the last 10 years. I mean, I know there's been <laughs> different attempts over the years, sometimes at different pubs. And um, but, I mean, yeah, the fact that the, the number of events that the APG has put on and the different initiatives. I mean, um, how do you think... Well, I'm curious, first off, how you think strategic planning, obviously the, the question is, how, how has strategic planning in Canada changed over the last 10 years? And um, not to kind of toot our own horns, but what, <laughs> um, what impact do you think maybe in a small way the APG might have had in that? Um, gosh, lots to unpack there. Um, I think, okay, taking the first part of that question, um, yeah, the 10 years has not been smooth sailing. Um it's 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 tough. Uh, well, has, sorry, it's, it's, we're a much better place now. Sorry, but it has been tough, um, most obviously during COVID, uh, as you and I both know, because um, our entire income stream was basically predicated pre-COVID on in-person events. Uh, you know, spot the floor in that business model um, when you have a worldwide pandemic. So yes, the year 2020, 2021 were very difficult years for the APG, but we muscled through it, um, and. But but I think also there's a longer term, if you look at the whole span of the decade. Um, yeah, it is, it is, I think the APG keeping it going has certainly taken more effort than I anticipated. Um, and I think that speaks to um, the second and third parts of your question, which is really, you know, what is the status or the role of strategic planning in Canada and, and, and what makes it, I think, distinctive and in some cases unique. Um, and it's not a lack of interest. It's something else. Um, and I'm very happy to talk about that. And I hope we will talk about it because after 10 years, I've learned a lot. I, th I hope I've learned a lot. Um, well, I'm now, now I'm, you know, I'm committed. I'm a fully paid up citizen. So, you know, I can't, unfortunately, won't be getting rid of me anytime soon. Um, but I think, I think, I think the answer to actually all three of those questions is linked, if that makes any sense. Hmm. Well, you've, in, you've intrigued me. Let's continue and unpack. What makes uh, planning in Canada distinctive or unique, do you think? I think, well, I think it's actually related in some ways to what makes the Canadian market distinctive and unique, which is that, so, so it's almost like a, I, I think there's a kind of, I can never remember the name, you, you'll probably remember it, but I, oh, and I'll mispronounce it, but you know the Russian dolls. Um, uh, I can't remember the Russian, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, but it's like, I think in a way, <laughs> yeah, I, I think in a way there's a, there's a kind of, um, I think, you know, it's like what makes Canada interesting and distinctive as a, as a, as an environment for business, what makes marketing and advertising, you know, each doll with it and then what planning is, you know, what makes planning distinctive and interesting is sort of, I feel there's quite a lot of connective tissue, um, between the different levels, if you like. So, Without wanting, you know, I don't want to make it too grandiose, but I have given quite a lot of thought to this over the years. I think, I think, if I'm honest, there's a feeling that 
there's a there's a kind of marginal quality I think to a lot of Canadian marketing and advertising. But what I'm by which I mean, I feel we're often scrambling in a way that often with I'm you know thinking particularly of budgets obviously, but there's a sort of scrambling scrappy quality to it often, and I think that's got got more pronounced in the ten years. I've been here, where it feels to me that we are actually trying to make the, you know, that awful kind of um, right wing, uh, to use the, the, the current cliche trope from the austerity years, you know, more making do, you know, making more with less. It could almost be the sort of tagline for Canadian advertising. Um, with some exceptions, with some exceptions, and the exceptions which everybody always mentions because they are the exceptions are you know the banks and the telcos um and to some extent uh, crown corporations um but you know the banks and the telcos are protected oligopolies so you know they've got buckets of cash um and a very interesting concept of competition but that's another alleyway we won't go down today because i can talk for hours and hours about that um i'm sure in a very boring way but i think i think the bulk of Canadian advertising marketing, I think, does have to, and I'm going to be deliberately profit, provocative here, I think we're living off scraps a lot of the time. Um, uh, you know, And I think <clears throat> I was very struck when I arrived 10 years ago by the, how different it felt here. And by the way, I'm not about to, I'm very well aware of that whole kind of, you know, there's nothing worse than, than being what the Australians call a whinging pom. And I absolutely don't think anybody who uh, who knows me at all well would ever accuse me of being that. Um, but I think I think that when I arrived here, I was really surprised how different it was to the UK advertising and planning scene back to the Russian dolls. And I think it's only got worse, if I'm honest. I think that what we see more and more is um, – and this is related as well to some interesting changes in the wider world, which you know you and I uh, have have talked about in the past. Um, you know the sort of things highlighted by Orlando um, Wood uh, System One. You know this sense of you know creativity is becoming harder and harder. So you know truly distinctive creativity seems to be at a premium now. I don't think it's just a Canadian problem, but I think as so often our lack of budgets, our lack of, and I think actually an inherent cultural caution, which I think is interesting uh, that, you know, which in some ways is interesting for such a, a highly immigrant society. It's interesting the continuity with aspects of Canadians' cultural past, which seem to be imbibed by immigrants when they come here, or, you know, because there is a, I think there is a genuine caution, a desire not to rock the boat, not to be what the Australians would call the tallest poppy. Um, and, you see it again and again and again, and, and, and I think I think it is frustrating because I look at and it's not just to do with being a small country. By the way, sorry, not that we're a small country, but you know, relatively, you know, the classic thing is we're you know, rule of thumb, everything Canada is ten times smaller than it is in America. You know, whether it's a market or a budget or what have you, a population. Um, you know, there are lots of small countries in the world, even in the Anglophone world, which do far, far better advertising than we do. Well, one thinks particularly of New Zealand, um, which, of course, is, you know, snuggles up to Australia um, and yet still seems to have a kind of ability to do interesting, provocative, funny. Remember that? You know, how much work do you see on Canadian, uh, of Canadian advertising that's actually amusing anymore? I mean, it's also earnest and and uh, and, and and frankly dreary sometimes. Um, so I think 
in that world where, as I say, there's this kind of marginal quality to, to so much that we are, you know, we are having to live off, um, and particularly exacerbated by, of course, the, the, the challenges presented by, you know, the Francophone, uh, you know, the fact that so much of any given budget, if you're running nationally, has to go to Quebec. Um, and, you know, that means new, new creative. And so, of course, that creates an even bigger incentive to just run the American stroke international work in the rest of Canada. So it really is an extremely challenging environment. And I think I think it's one where, I, I'll be honest, I, th- I, th- I think there are signs of, uh, uh, not a renaissance, I think that would be putting it too strongly, but I think there are signs that things are getting better. But I would have to say the last 10 years feel to me to be quite um, quite bleak, to be honest. Um, and, 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 you know, the obvious question to ask somebody in my position, or indeed yours, is, well, you know, if planning's so great, why hasn't planning fixed all that? Um, and I think it's a very good question, actually. I think it's a very good question. And I think it goes back to what makes Canadian planning distinctive. I think often we are we are being asked to be scrappy and, and make do with less, uh, as it were, on a, on a per capita basis, both in terms of resources and in terms of numbers, uh, than our international compatriots. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like, as you mentioned, it's like the combination of the the budgets having to be scrappy, and then this cultural uh, maybe conservatism. I mean, I know you didn't use that mm. word. <laughs> maybe I have. Um, mm. Is that? I guess that's that's what we're we're navigating around. And and are you saying? Like, is that becoming, are those becoming bigger challenges? Well, it sounds like specifically the, with the budgets it has, but over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. you feel that they've become more prevalent? Yes, I do. I do. I feel it has. And, and, and one of the things I noticed when I came here, and this was a bit of a red flag for me, actually, uh, you know, we can, I can now say it because it's quite a, I look back on it quite a. No, no I will Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no. I mean, you know, it's a quite an interesting story that can be told now. Um, I mean, not that it's a state secret, but but it, I found it very instructive. Um, was when I arrived, or you know, ten years ago, I I found, and I, and I, it took me a while to get my head around what was going on. It's a book, sorry, what was going on was that there was this extraordinary uh, affinity and enthusiasm. I mean, I mean, almost to the point of, um, I think. Yeah, I think a form of madness, collective madness, about the potential of, of social media. And I'm not saying that social media has no potential. I'm not saying that at all. That, 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 that's, uh, that's obviously silly and, and, and childish. What I mean is that the, what was driving it was interesting. And what was driving it was not – because this is back in the day when it was all about Facebook likes and that sort of stuff. I mean, I mean Zuckerberg hadn't worked out his, absurd, you know, frankly, obscenely predatory pricing models yet. And, and they hadn't worked out mobile. So this is, this is you know, in the early days, really, still of social media as a, as a, as a, as a channel. Um, but the great attraction for Canadians was that it was free. Um, and and, and that, that sounds almost like I'm being, um, you know, unkind. Uh, I don't mean it unkindly. Um, because actually, although Canadians quite rightly congratulate themselves on the fact that the banks, the Canadian banks, because they're so well capitalized and have such frankly, obscene profit margins uh, by world standards. You know, they'd survived the great financial crash in very good order compared with America and the UK, which is brilliant. Um, it, it, what, what we hadn't noticed, I think, and it only became clear to me after being here for a while, is that, of course, a lot of those budgets that actually came from the States had gone back to the States and never came back and still haven't come back. 
Um, and in that environment where suddenly whole marketing departments were being decimated and uh, notwithstanding the financial stability in Canada, the budgets were coming from the States or were coming from global brands, uh, which didn't have the money. And suddenly marketing departments were shrinking and their budgets were in some cases shrinking or even disappearing. Then actually the appearance of in inverted commas, free close inverted commas media was a godsend. And that I think was one of the reasons why it was suddenly, it was, it was all about this sort of, you know, as I say, you know, brand pages on Facebook and Twitter and this and that. And it was clearly madness. I mean, because, you know, this was, this, this relied on a kind of, uh, no, optimistic's a kind word, but essentially a completely wrong view of how brands grow. And without turning this into a sort of Byron Sharp seminar, which I absolutely don't want to do, and I know there are issues with some of their thinking at the Arab Babas Institute, but I think I still think their essential insights are, are ones which are, uh, you know, pretty sound. If a brand just talks to its loyalists and just talks to its fans, then the brand is going to die. You know, that is fundamentally, you, you end up with a brand talking to itself in the coal cellar. You know, that's effectively what social media was in those days. And everybody was very self-congratulatory and was trying to do stunts that went viral and all the rest of it. Um, and, you know, for every stunt that went viral, there were 100 or 200 that just flopped. Um, but still people persisted and persisted. I mean, I, mean I, used, I used to read, you know, client briefs saying things like, we want, you know, we want, um, you know, we want another WestJet Christmas miracle, whatever it was, you know, and, and I'm sure you've seen briefs like that. And and it was just all the, all the TDATM, you know, and stuff like that. You kind of go, oh, my goodness. And, and, and advertising became very small. It became small in all sorts of ways. It became small in budget, small in conception, small in ideas, small in, small in ambition. And I think for me, that's, that, that is the, the, those years were devastating for Canadian advertising because a whole generation, well, a whole generation, that's an exaggeration, but for, for four or five years, you know, we were bring we were obsessed with social, we were obsessed with digital. Um, I mean, I, I got officially reprimanded, um, by, you know, the senior manager in the agency where I worked for one of the early APG event, poo-pooing, you know, digital along the lines. I hadn't worked it all out the way I have subsequently, but, for my skepticism. Um, and, uh, you know, that stuck with me. I was thinking, hey, wow, I've really touched a, a sore spot here. I didn't anticipate that. And B, mm, interesting, because actually, you know, if we continue down this road, then it, things are not going to end well. And I would argue, Michelle, that things haven't ended well. I think things haven't ended well. I mean, I mean, I, I you know, I came up in a, a I, you know, obviously I've, I've been doing this a very long time, um, much longer than anybody else you'll talk to on your podcast series. Um, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. But, but one of the good things is it does give you perspective. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a world where agencies were on commission. We got 15% to, and that was also when we had full service agencies. So we did the media as well. And we made most of our money on media, nearly all of it. In fact, you know, we got 15% of the budget, whether it was media or production. And, and then in the mid eighties, the clients got fed up with that and they're presented with a new model where media split from creative and, and they could save money. And that model, the repercussions of that still lived with us for many years. And then along came Zuckerberg and co. And now, you know, Clients are paying, and this, there's been, and this is not me, you know, rabble rousing or, or, or um, you know, just uh, exaggerating to make a point. I don't have to exaggerate. So, you know, whereas in the in the eighties and nineties, clients were paying fifteen cents on the dollar, they're now paying at least fifty cents, five zero, and often up to eighty cents on the dollar to trading intermediaries for their digital for every dollar they spend on digital advertising, um, and. 
And apparently that's acceptable. I mean, I mean, it, it, def- it beggars belief. And when you go, and I'll stop in a minute, because as you know, I, I, I do like, uh, if I'm not careful, I, I get carried away on my soapbox. But I mean, you know, I, I for various reasons, have never been to Cannes. Um, and uh, not that, genuinely not that it matters. It's quite amusing, actually. Three or four times I've come ever so close, and then it hasn't happened. And I'd love to have gone. But I think, you know, you only have to go. Friends of mine have gone uh, recently. And, you know, what's interesting is who's on, you know, the croisette, who's on the beach, who's got the big pavilions. And it's Facebook and it's Google and it's Twitter, you know. And these are the new this – this is where all the salaries and advertising have gone. You know, in, 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 in my early years, it was, you know, creative agencies, creative full-service agencies. Then the money went to the media agencies, and now the money's gone to the intermediaries, um, you know, uh, the platforms, and more importantly, the, you know, the social media giants that we all know so well. And, and, and in that other way, it's almost like, a, um, it's like if, if, the, if the scraps I was talking about were, horizontal, you know, were vertical scraps, well, this is a horizontal thing where, you know, the creative agencies are left with growing inability to pay the talent what they need to keep the talent. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sounding very bleak, but I, I think it isn't, it hasn't been a great 10 years for the business. I really don't think it's been a great 10 years for the business across the world. Uh, and, and for the reasons we've touched on even worse here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean that, that whole, uh, area has evolved hugely, I think over the last 10 years and of late we're seeing it deliver much less effect effectiveness, um, than it used to in the earlier days as well. So, and it's going to obviously continue to evolve. Um, well, well, I think I, I think that's right. And, and you know, there are all sorts of you know, lots of it will evolve. And I think when we talk about the future, I think that's where one, you know, I, I'm by nature an optimistic uh, person, and and I have to believe that things will, you know, that we are. I wouldn't say we're at a nadir, but I think we are. We are at a, you know, an infl- or even inflection. But I, I, you know, I, I, who knows whether it's an, an nadir or not? But I do feel that things will get better. I'm not entirely sure how. Um, and in, in fact, one of the great uh, challenges I think for our business, um, and there are a number, but one of the great challenges, and again, I, I don't see this talked about enough, or, or maybe I don't read the right things anymore, but is is. You know, clearly people are watching a lot, you know, for all the, you know, I, I, I admire Mark Ritson enormously. I think he's extremely, he's one of the best presenters I've ever seen. And he's rigorous and he's bright and, and, and obviously very, very, his opinions are famous. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of this, you know, a lot of the stuff, I mean, and he's very good at demolishing a lot of the arguments about social media's power. But I think one of the challenges for the whole industry is that, is that, whether or not you think TV is dying or dead or whatever, you know, and clearly, you know, Tuesday, whether it's Mark Twain or Oscar Wilde, depending on which side of the Atlantic you are, you know, uh, rumors of, of the death of TV have been much exaggerated. The reality is that TV advertising, not TV as a medium, but advertising is much, you know, much less watched than it used to be. And it's hard to see that changing. And I'm not going to argue about the, the stats on that. What I would say, though, and this is something that I, I feel we don't talk about enough, is TV as, an, as a platform has some superb advantages, it, you know, not just at its, its heyday, reaching scale, but as a medium, you know, the scale of the screen, the, the sound, the, the, the movement, the, the, the ability to tell a story to, you know, all those great things, which we completely discount now. Uh, and go, oh, well, don't worry, we get it in a Facebook video on a phone. No, you can't, actually. And 
John Hegarty is very good on this, which is why, you know, why wouldn't you? Why is, if you had a big canvas, why wouldn't you paint on it? And I think, and I think, and I think I'm not arguing for TV. What I'm saying is one of the things that our industry has not faced up to is if we lose TV as a medium and we no longer have that big canvas, what medium or media are going to give us those same, that emotional heft? And the reality is no one's come up with an answer. No one's come up with an answer. And so what we do as an industry, because we don't like difficult questions, not just here, but all over the world, is we just ignore it. And we go, actually, you know, what a Facebook video campaign is the same. It's all video, isn't it? No, it's not all the same. Um, and, and, and in fact, one of the things that, that is really striking about, you know, we've all been quite happy to lose this platform, which was so, which, which, which delivered so well for us for so long. Apparently, everyone's cool with that, which I find astonishing. Um, is that actually, you know, a lot of this uh, sameness that we touched on earlier, whether it's a kind of cultural uh, effect, which is the Orlando Wood argument, which I, I, I think is part of it. I don't think it's the whole story at all. I think it's part of it. Um, is, is, of course, I, I think the, appall frankly, appalling uh, deadening effect on creativity from, you know, the, the, the way that the marketing, uh, the marketing departments, I'm afraid, of, are completely complicit in this, uh, in which, you know, instead of, sorry, what I'm trying to say is the Facebook and Google rules for how you use YouTube, how best to use, you know, Facebook video and all this sort of stuff. And, and I remember clients going, oh, I've got a Facebook studio event. You know, I want a whole agency there because Facebook are going to tell us how to use, t you know, how to use video. And you're kind of going, so actually here's a company which has been going for about five minutes and you're going to listen to a bunch of, and I'm sorry to be, you know, sound remotely ageist, but it's true, 25-year-olds who've been out of school for two or three years telling you how to use Facebook video. And, and of course, what they do is they, they, tell you, they tell you all the things that make advertising reprehensibly bad. You know, you've got to have the brand in the first th three seconds. You've got to have the brand on screen all the time. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You can't, and, and it's literally like advertising by numbers for idiots. And, and, you know, you can't tell a story. You can't, you can't create a, the, you know, the, that kind of sense of a warp and a weft of engagement. And I know, I know that, you know, attention is an issue and all the rest of it. But I think, I think we assume that because these people had created these platforms, they knew about advertising. Well, the advertising on these platforms was uniquely challenging in a way that it had never been before. And I think we ceded an awful lot of our authority and knowledge and wit and wisdom to people who, frankly, were making it up as they went went along and just and trying to justify their, frankly, obscene returns they were making. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you, you've touched on a lot of things there, and I'm sure we could kind of continue um, to, to peel back all the layers there. But I, I wanted to kind of maybe shift tracks a little bit and talk about kind of the next 10 years. And it strikes me, I'm, I'm going to say a few different words or phrases, and I'm, I'm just curious as, as to your reaction, if any of them uh, solicit a uh, reaction. So some of the things that I think about kind of 10 years ago today and 10 years into the future, um, curious as to your perspective, it seems to me that kind of 10 years ago, uh, there, there were no CSOs. Uh, you'd be, you'd be, it'd be hard to perhaps find a, a planning department that was, had many people, um, in different agencies. It was kind of some agencies had even a single planner, um, versus a department. 
Um, 10 years ago today, uh, you know, we probably weren't, I don't think we felt like we were talking as much about Benet and Field, about the Effies. Um, Byron Sharp is only kind of starting to come into the lexicon. There were some agencies where we still had to explain and educate to clients, uh, creatives and account folks, I would say even, what uh, strategic planning was and, and what value it could provide and how we could all work together. I'm curious as to your reflection on any of those things and, and where you project that going into the next 10 years. Um, well, great question. Um, I, I think um, it's interesting when I... <clears throat> I'm not sure I ever answered your question of what I was doing 10 years ago to the day. I'm not sure I know exactly what I was doing 10 years ago to the day, but I know I was coming to the end of my third month as uh, as, as the head of planning at Taxi Toronto. Um, and, um, yeah, still you know, swimming swimming hard to stay afloat, I think. Yeah, swimming hard to stay afloat. But, I, I yeah, I mean, one of the things I did, actually, uh, when I first uh, got to Taxi was I I, – I, I, um, I bought everyone in the department. You probably—I don't know if you remember this—but a copy of How Brands Grow. Um, it was a—it was a because I, it, it, you know, it, it's something that had really influenced me in the preceding couple of years. Um, working at Leo in, in London and, and working with Kellogg's in the UK, um, uh, who were very invested in that uh, that approach. And um, I, I, I thought it was such an interesting, as I say, I, some of the foundational insights of the way I think about marketing uh, come from the, that book. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there is a, yes, there's a tension, isn't there, between what you've said, what your question and what some of the things I've been talking about. Um, and I think for me to resolve that tension, I think there is, I think there is a, there is certainly a, a greater interest in the reality of things like how brands grow. I mean, I don't just mean the book, but, you know, the activity in the world. Uh, and that seems to be something that I certainly you know, while one couldn't assume that people who you meet for the first time in, in, you know, new clients, new colleagues have read it, the chances are much higher than perhaps they would have been. So even five years ago, I agree with that. Um, and I think there is an engagement with effectiveness, although I have my own qualms about some aspects of, of, of the way uh, the EPIs the work, which is another story for another day. But yes, I mean, I think there is an engagement with that sense of it. I think, however, um, I I feel that um, I think uh, I'm sorry to I, d I don't want to turn over the rock of the difference between efficiency and effectiveness uh, particularly, but I think we kind of have to for at least for a little bit in this conversation. I think there is a confusion here, uh, which is I'm not saying it only exists here, but I've, I've been really struck by it that we often confuse return on investment, uh, which is effectively an efficiency. Um, uh, measure with effectiveness, which is much more frank, you know, much more of a profound business mover. Uh, you know, as Burnett and Field have said many, many times, you know, you can actually have a high, high ROI campaign, which actually doesn't really move the needle in the real world at all, because you're talking to such a small target market and with a small budget. And, and even though, you know, if it really was a profound change, you'd expect to see it scaled up and it never is. And so I think ROI has become, a, a, and I do think, unfortunately, because, again, we have small budgets, it's one way of validating a budget, isn't it? You kind of go, even though we only had $200,000, we managed to get this ROI. Well, actually, what about your profit margin? What about your profit? You know, what about your profits? What about sales? What about penetration? All the hard stuff 
is dodged again and again and again in the FEs, so the Canadian FEs. I think it's true to some extent, by the way, of the FEs generally. I'm, I'm not a, as huge a fan of those as I am of the IPA effectiveness awards, which I think are much more rigorous and much harder to win. Um, but I, 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 I do think the confusion between ROI as one of the measures of effectiveness and it being the, the only metric that matters is, is is a truly depressing misunderstanding of what advertising effectiveness is really about, which is which is an agent of change for a business. That That's what advertising effectiveness is actually about. It's not about, oh, you know, our little campaign on Twitter did this and we got these loyal people to buy one more, you know, pack a year. No, that's not, that's not, that's not advertising effectiveness. So that's, that's a business effect of some kind, but let's not like, confuse that with what the big project is. So, so, sorry. So to go back to the substance of your question, I think we are, I think we're reading to some extent. I think we've read the right books. We're reading the right books. I think, unfortunately, though, we're not uh, we're not putting that thinking into practice in a way that is truly changing the trajectory of Canadian brands uh, or Canadian advertising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, g- given kind of uh, scrappier budgets um, and perhaps some of our conservatism or caution, mm-hmm. it makes it perhaps a bit harder to do that. Oh, you know, I'm not saying it's easy. I think. I think think it was easy. We'd have done it. What I would say, and this is something that puzzled me the minute I came here and puzzles me still, which is that, you know, Canada has quite rightly, it takes enormous pride in its, in its, it's punching above its weight culturally. Um, Think of film, think of television, think of music. Um, And, you know, uh, uh, you know, in fact, it's one of those famous, you know, you know, I've been here long enough now to appreciate the joke, isn't it? Which is, you know, the number of Canadian music uh, musicians who Americans think are American because they're so successful, you know. Um, but, but you know, I look at it. It's not that we can't do it. You know, it's not that we can't do it. It's not that we don't have the creative skills. We do. It's not that we don't have the ability to take, you know, to take an interesting you know, viewpoint on the world and make it distinctive and own it because we do. It's, it's, it's I think... It seems to me specifically a challenge in the marketing and advertising space, and I wish I knew how to solve it. I feel it's almost like, you know, we have this power station next to us. We're living in a house next to a power station, but we can't quite plug into it. That's how I feel sometimes, well, no, oftentimes, about creativity and, and in advertising in Canada. And, um, and planning, I think, does help. I, I, you know, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm party free on this. I'm going to say I think planning makes a difference because I've spent the vast majority of my life doing it, um, both here in the UK and, and to some extent in the States and Europe. Um, and I do think planning does raise boats. I do think it raises all boats. I think it raises the quality, the average quality of briefs uh, and all the rest of it. But I do, I do think that there is a, there is a, there's still work to be done to connect our ability to create distinctive advertising to our, our ability to create more broadly, which seems manifest in the culture. Uh, and um, I, I, I find it frustrating, actually. I find it frustrating. I would like nothing better than us to become the New Zealand of the Northern Hemisphere. I'd, I'd love that. Yeah. Well, you said, you said you're an optimist and you're optimistic about the yes. next 10 years. What are you optimistic about? What gives um, you that optimism? <laughs> Well, partly, I think, because, you know, history has this pendulum effect. Um, and I do think we're at the bottom of a, a trough at the moment, um, as I said earlier. 
So I think it's partly I can't it's it's partly a general sense that I think things will swing upwards. Um, but I I also think that I think that and it goes back to something again that we touched on earlier but we didn't explore, which is what if you know what effect has the APG had on on the industry? And I think I think the answer is the short answer is not as great as I'd hoped at the, you know over the last ten years. But I actually feel enormously optimistic. Um, particularly, um, you know, COVID made us look again at our business model. And we now have basically a kind of virtual business model, which means that, you know, whereas, you know, when we started, if you didn't live in Toronto, it's very hard to actually access any APG events or services. Uh, or, and, we, you know, we've had, we've had chapters in Vancouver, Montreal as well. So, but again, you know, there are people trying to do advertising and planning outside those centers. But now we have a much more uh, accessible model, you know, whether it's the podcasts or online training with the IPA or what have you. Um, and I also think things take time. I think things take longer than you imagine. Um, and I think what, one of the reasons I feel optimistic, optimistic about the next 10 years is I think that we now have a, a generation of planners who, I'm not saying they've been through APG training, I don't mean that, but, you know, who are, the fact the APG is still here and, and kicking, alive and kicking, and I think getting stronger. Um, and I think that there's a, you know, a growing number of planners who have worked outside the country, worked with people who have worked out of the side, outside the country, who understand that it doesn't have to be scrappy all the time, you know, that slowly but surely departments are getting bigger. They are getting you know, more funding, to your point. Um, and, they, and I think more importantly, that it, and now I'm going to be really provocative, okay, because why not? It's our podcast. Um, you know, um, I think what, one of the things I really noticed uh, when I first came here was that there was a generation of creatives uh, who were deeply suspicious of planning. They tended to be older, set in their ways, frankly. Not untalented, often brilliantly talented, but just... I always used to say to my uh, senior colleagues at Taxi privately, I'd say, you know, um, they just look at a planner and see half of a creative team that they, they could have. You know, oh, oh, if, if that planner didn't exist, I could buy a new art director. And they really didn't see the point of it. And, and this to me was completely alien. You know, I'd, I'd worked for 30 years in the UK. Uh, and, and, you know, as, as I've said to many people, and I think I've said to you, you know, when... when Really, from the inception of Bartle Bogle Hegarty in 1982, which is now over 40 years ago, in the UK, no serious agency, with the exception, I think, of when the Saatchi brothers left their eponymous agency to set up MNC Saatchi, no serious agency has ever been set up, certainly no successful agency that didn't have the three legs of, you know, the three-legged stool, the account, management, planning, and creative in the, in the partnership. So Bartle Bogle and Hegarty, John Bartle, planner, Nigel Bogle, account person, John Hegarty, creative. That became the model for every successful British agency, many of which sold out into networks for millions and millions of pounds, and good for them, not being critical at all. But that became the model. So really, I joined the business in 1981. So for me, that model was what I grew up with. And yet here, we still see agencies being started which don't have planners in them. I mean, it astonishes me, even now, less so now, but even now. And, and that... One of the reasons I feel so positive about the future is that that generation of creatives who would now be probably 50 plus are all exiting the business. Uh, and, you know, I think as as I did, as, as the industry grows up as a proper, you know, partnership between those three core skills at the heart of any great agency, obviously you have to have good people in those jobs, but without those three core skills, 
I think you're going nowhere. Um, or you're going to find a lot harder to get where you want to go. I think that does give me hope because we do have a generation of planners who are are growing up in an environment where planning is seen as valuable on its face, irrespective of the individual planners. Whereas when I arrived here, I often encountered this view, which is I don't like planning, but Bob's all right or Sue's all right, you know. It kind of grudgingly and that that's completely the wrong mindset i mean i mean imagine you know imagine saying that about the creative department i mean you'd just be laughed out of court wouldn't you and and i think we've we've lost that which is great and i think and i well lost not completely but i think we will lose it completely in the next five years but i think some so some of the structural stuff is going to be very hard to change like the size of the budgets the the issue you know having to split budgets between french and english canada those things aren't going to change anytime soon i, I really don't see how they will but i go back to the new zealand example and i say you know there is a way through i think one of the things that um i think when you look at the um I was introduced to that Twitter thread, you know, how, how it started, how it's going um, the other day and uh, for advertising. And it's thoroughly depressing. I mean, it really is. It's not just a Canadian problem. You look at all these major global brands and all the ads are just, I mean, I mean certainly they, they just seem to be, you know, they're like brochures, aren't they? You know, here's a, here's a shot of the product. doesn't matter. Even Apple's doing it. doesn't matter how sexy they are. Here's a shot of the product. Here's our logo. And here's a more or less crappy tagline. And that's what advertising has become to so many people now. And I think that a bit like what I compare it to, and this is, I'm sorry, as, uh, as my old colleague Christine Moore would say, it's a long walk to a small house, perhaps, but hopefully not that small a house. The thing that gives me hope is that once upon a time, you know, in the early days of commercial television in America, you would cut away from the, the you know, the, the, the drama and you, you'd get a word from our sponsor, you know, and it would be read by the host uh, and it would be terrible. And within 10 or 20 years, some of the, you know, Bill Burnback was doing some of the best television advertising the world has ever seen. Um, and we've seen the same thing with podcasts, you know, uh, here where, you know, it's funny, isn't it? I remember when I first, uh, I, I love podcasts personally, but I think the advertising is by and large dreadful. But, you know, it was like, oh, podcasts, you know, uh, they're different from radio. So what we do is we actually get the host to say, well, you know, now, by the way, um, are you trying to find you know, fertilizer for your garden? I always use blah, blah, blah. And you're kind of going, oh, my God, it's like the 50s in television all over again. And I used to raise this with people and people would say, oh, but Mark, you don't understand. It's all about the host. It's so authentic. It's all about, you know, the fact that they've got this really you know, unique relationship with their business and you're, with, with, the, with the customer, uh, the, sorry, the listeners. And, and I'm kind of going, yeah, but it's 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 one it's two dimensional, one dimensional garbage. You know, it, it's not convincing. It's not emotionally interesting, or all the things that we've we kind of we're too keen to throw away all the things we know about how advertising works, and we have to relearn. You know, it's that it's like that old expression: you know, everything that's old is new again. You know, it's so true in this business. And I think that sense of you know actually getting back to what what do we actually know about how people want want to hear want to engage with brands want to have stories told to them and i think we need once we understand that we will start to dig our way out of this hole which is not as i say just a canadian problem it seems to be uh, you know obviously there are pockets but it seems to be a bit of a worldwide problem to 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 the, you know to to Oliver, uh, sorry, orlando woods point but i do think that i do think we have a um, you know yeah, I do feel positive about it because I think I see a future for Canadian advertising which has planning at its heart. And if it has planning at its heart and those planners are by and large good, know what they're doing and actually you know, understand that the 
core to planning is not channel specific. It's always about, always about starting with the brand and building from there. And one of the things that gives me great hope is the number of good planners I've worked with in the last 10 years who came to me as digital specialists. Uh, and some of them stayed as digital specialists, but the best ones within months, and not exaggerating, sometimes weeks, will be in my office saying, I want to know more about brands. I want to understand how brands work. Help me understand what can I do to learn. And that happened again and again and again. And those people are no longer now starting their careers. Often they are heading departments. Uh, some of them are CSOs. Some of them, you know, uh, some of them, you know, have gone on to marketing. And and as that word spreads, I do think that we will start to engage consumers with brands again in ways that truly create brands and tell stories. And also, you know, the other thing I think we've forgotten how to do is make campaigns. I think of what we do every year feels like let's start again from a blank sheet of paper. And we've lost that ability to create a connective tissue across years, which allows us, you know, a campaign is not just a series of ads with a tagline. It's, it's actually something which has a narrative and a, 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 a propelling narrative which actually lasts for years, whether it's a story told through advertising or, or, or some other form. But we, we've, I think we've almost completely lost those abilities and we need to refine them and, and planning will be at the heart of doing that. Perfect. Wow, there's a, a lot to unpack there. I mean, maybe we could just end with this and, and you, you might have already touched on it, but your singular hope or prediction for planning in Canada over the next 10 years. Oh, that's a good question. I uh, was not expecting that. Um, I think, well, <laughs> the sort of uh, very parochial one would be, I, I would love the APG to still be around in 10 years' time. Not not with me, by the way, Cherry. I want that to make that very clear. But I would like <laughs> it to be around in 10 years' time. And I'd like it to be thriving. I mean, you know, unquestionably thriving and seen as central to raising the, 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 the level of, of planning uh, in the country, across the whole country. I, I would... That's that I'd love that to happen. Um, I think I think for me that I think it's this it's this I think it's getting back to yeah I think it's putting up I think what we need to do over the next ten years is somehow get back in touch with all that wisdom and knowledge that we used to have that we threw away so casually uh, you know after the great financial crisis. I think I think we know how to. Uh, make you know help people value brands i think we do understand the role brands really play in people's lives and i think we just need to pay close attention to 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 this and i really hope that in 10 years time if we were to have this conversation again i would i would feel uh that a um you know things were better it, you know advertising creativity felt more vital more alive more vibrant and, and more relevant uh to people's lives and more effective and, and more culturally uh, and had more cultural heft than I feel it has over the last 10 years. But also that, that planning was not even seen to be central to that was no longer, was just had an unquestioned seat at the table, you know, and it, for me, the acid test is, you know, you've got an important meeting with an important client. If the planner isn't there, you don't start the meeting. That to me, it wouldn't even be a debate. You know, planning was just like, well, where's the credit director? Where's the planning director? Where's the account lead? Okay. Now we can start. That's yeah. that's where we need to get to in this country. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. We covered a lot of ground <laughs> here um, in the last forty minutes or so. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. No, my my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share this episode, and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts.